Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Lots of things happening today, especially around the American game. USA Denmark a little later. We're going to preview that today. Minnesota is getting their expansion franchise. Probably cover that with a guest in the next couple of days. Certainly a big a big day up in Minneapolis as uh, Don Garber and assorted luminaries will be at Target Field to announce Minnesota getting an expansion franchise. I'm a little unclear on the saga of the stadium. Last we talked to Brian Korstad. There was uh, an option to buy some land, but I don't know if there's public money. It's, uh, it's, it may not, may, may not be as simple as we think, but we will find out what's going on. And, of course, MLS is not going to move. Oh, wait, they did that in Miami. A little different, of course. Updates on Miami as well today. So you got USA Denmark. Brian Sharetta will join us in a couple of minutes to preview that match. He is over there in Denmark right now ahead of that game. What is Jurgen Klinsmann trying to get done? Who the heck knows? Also on this show, continuing our discussion a bit on the fallout over Robert Andrew Powell's piece on the Miami expansion process in Howler Mag, will be the editor-in-chief of Howler, Mr. George Qureshi, who hasn't been on the show in a while. It'll be good to have George on. The discussion is going to be a little bit more meta, a little bigger than just about the Miami piece. We'll talk about some Growing pains in the American soccer journalism community. The coverage of American soccer by independent outlets like Howler. How that fits into the larger construct that is testiness on the MLS level. You guys know I harp all the time about how we have to break the mentality of team soccer. Hashtag team soccer. We're all kumbaya. Except we're not. We shouldn't be. And that will help push the game forward. I'm sure George and I will go down some of those roads Today, so there are your guests, good stuff. Well, let's uh, talk about the news. The internationals today on the docket, again, the USA, uh, United States men's national team, and Denmark, clearly uh, the focus for those of us here in the United States. You do have a couple of other games on the schedule. I had, I had them pulled up. I think it's like Northern Ireland and Scotland. Yay. Spain and, Spain and Australia, is that right? Or Germany, Australia. Germany, Australia, I believe, is the game. So, you know, if you've been thinking about how there's been no action since Sunday, and damn it, you need some action, it's just sort of action. It's still international friendlies. Nobody really cares about them. Uh, the results won't matter, et cetera, et cetera. We'll overanalyze the U.S. game, of course. But at least it's soccer, and at least it'll be on live television. ESPN2 at 3.15 Eastern is kickoff for USA Denmark, by the way. Speaking of internationals, uh, Mexico's got a couple of friendlies coming up. Hector Herrera and Miguel Layun will return to their clubs after one match, uh, one of those Mexican friendlies. Uh, both of their clubs, uh, Porto and Watford, respectively, would, be, would like to have their players back for some crucial matches coming up. So that's something for Miguel Herrera to consider. Roy Hodgson, manager of uh, England. Upset over training ground espionage. <laughs> this is hilarious to me. Roy Hodgson is upset because he was holding a piece of paper that had a proposed lineup on it. Whether it was he's going to be his lineup, whether it was going to be the lineup he used in the match, I don't think that's even clear. 
But there were photographs taken, and this was an open training session. This wasn't some secret uh, secret training session where super long lenses were used or helicopters were flying overhead. This was a, a training session that was open to the public. Roy Hodgson's holding the piece of paper. On it, it says Harry Kane up top with Wayne Rooney, and the press went bonkers. Uh, let me just get to some of these quotes from Roy. I, I Look, I understand trying to protect your uh, <laughs> protect your plan. But again, the, to, to sort of get upset over an open training session and having your, uh, your proposed formation out in the press, a little ridiculous, Roy. Maybe calm down. England boss Hodson angry at training ground espionage, blares this headline. If I can get my computer to scroll here, perhaps you can read some of these quotes. This is uh, that is dangerous to assume, said Hodgson about Harry Kane starting. First of all, it is dangerous to spy on those things at a training session. The fact that the fact is that a piece of paper is a piece of paper we take out to training because we have to select teams. He thinks you, uh, Roy, protests a little too much. Calm down, Roy. It's not a big deal. Uh, the Minnesota announcement today, of course, at 12 p.m. Eastern, live streamed on MLSsoccer.com. I won't be able to partake. I'm sure we'll have plenty of updates on Twitter for people who are there in the building. Again, I'm interested in this, I'm interested to see what the stadium fallout will be. There's some reports out of Minnesota that uh, various factions are protecting the interests of the Wilf family who own the Minnesota Vikings and who are the other interested party when it comes to MLS expansion in Minnesota. They wanted to put a team in their NFL building, a la the Atlanta franchise coming in 2017. Clearly, the MLS went with a, in a different direction by choosing Dr. Bill McGuire and Minnesota United ownership group. Whether or not that means anything for the stadium, again, we'll, we'll get to this, and I'm sure I'll have plenty of updates on uh, on Twitter from people up there in Minnesota, who can flesh this out? Definitely follow Brian Korstad. I am Soccer News for a lot of that, and uh, check out Northern Pitch as well. Michelle Platini has been reelected UEFA president because he ran unopposed. Shockingly, UEFA is all in on another uh, another presidential term for Platini. It is his third four year term. Michelle Platini insisted that UEFA quote-unquote, loves FIFA after he was re-elected unopposed as the UEFA president for a third four-year term. Platini uh, Platini has made it clear he does not support Seth Blatter standing for a fifth term, but he used his acceptance speech to say people are trying to turn the rest of the world against UEFA. Platini told the UEFA Congress in Vienna, excuse me, this means more to me than you can possibly imagine. I know I can count on you, and you know that you can count on me. Wow, that's... (laughs) This allows me to continue for another four years. I do want to say that we love FIFA deeply, and it's precisely because we love and respect FIFA that we want it to be perfect. Now, don't don't forget that Plat- Michelle Platini is the guy who was uh, implicated or connected to some meetings with former French President Sarkozy in relation to uh, in relation to discussions with Qatar and their money uh, investment in France. Maybe Michelle throwing his weight behind the Qatari World Cup bid for reasons that are not just about who is the best potential host for a World Cup. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to grab Brian Shredda. He is over in Denmark. He will talk to us about USA Denmark previewing that game. Who plays? What does Klinsman do? What does he get out of this match? Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Face in the crowd. 
The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dish World's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, joined now via Skype by our friend Brian Sharetta. American Soccer Now, Yanks Abroad, New York Times, various places. Brian Sharetta on Twitter. Brian, how are you? Oh, doing great, Jason. How are you? I'm good. You said it was chilly there. In, is it Aarhus? How, do, how am I saying this? You got it right. Aarhus. All right. Ar- 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 it, it is, uh, it's cold, raw, and damp. It, it's, you know, it, it, so it's raining out a little bit, right? Not hard, but it's cold enough. All right, so it's a little cold. It's a little damp. It is a European environment. We know uh, Eric Klinsman likes to test this team in those European environments. We had a scare over whether or not this Denmark team would be at full strength. They happened to get that deal done with the federation between the, uh, the, the discussion between the players and the federation about pay. So we are going to see a full strength Denmark team. What do you expect out of the United States? What, what, do, you, what do you think Klinsman is going to try to, to do today specifically? And obviously we have to consider who, who's on this roster and who he's looking at. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it was one thing with the poor results at the end of 2014 since the end of the World Cup. Um, you know, they did not go the way, the, the U.S. team's way. I mean, to, including the games really only played on FIFA International dates because January camps are just, they're just a completely different beast. But anyway, um, you know, the, it, now it's, I think, you know, when, when you saw when you, I was talking to Klinsman uh, yesterday, you know, he was saying uh, it, it, they got to start zooming in on the Gold Cup right now. It's about momentum. These games are friendlies, but now now it's a little bit more crunch time. Uh, you know, you're starting the, the big tournaments now ahead. And uh, the results and the results and performances have to be righted. I mean, look, there's only two guys coming in for the first time ever for their first, you know, um, national team uh, camps, Yarbrough um, and uh, Ventura Alvarado. So both these guys, I mean, everyone else on the team should be familiar with each other. You know, there's really... You know, you know, no excuses in that department. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's uh, there should be a little bit more urgency from the U.S. team to try to, I mean, the last game that they played was against, you know, the 4-1 loss to Ireland on a FIFA date. And, you know, and that's that's not acceptable anymore. No. So, um, you know, the time for experimenting is kind of over and now it should be, you know, you know, a little bit more of a serious preparation. The start of a more serious preparation. Uh, let me ask you about that lack of urgency. I mean, is, are you going to, you know, I, I, I think that it's, it's very easy to sort of get sucked down into a hole where we put everything on Klinsman's shoulders. And certainly he has been erratic enough in his choices and his formations and what he wants to get, uh, what he wants to do with this, this team, how he wants to play, that there should be some criticism there. And the results are ultimately on him on some level. But is the lack of urgency down to the players themselves? And, and if it is down to the players, is any of that 
down to Klinsman sending mixed messages? No, I mean, you know, I think that the players always want to go out there and win. I mean, I think, you know, for example, in experimenting, we've seen some, you know, we saw a lot of new players called up in the fall. I mean, I mean, you know, in terms of urgency, I think there's there was a little bit more um, willingness to experiment in the in the fall friendlies. Um, I don't really mean to say the players weren't like, you know, giving 100 percent effort. But I mean, I, th- I thought I think you saw some new things like. For example, Mixed Discord was a, became like a very prominent player in the midfield. Um, they tried to bring Joe Zhao into the system uh, before you know his injury, and uh, you know Julian Green got a lot of minutes as well. And you know, and they played uh, Jermaine Jones in central defense. Um, some of those things would continue if the players were were all healthy. Some of them won't. But I mean, I in terms of seeing that rate of experimenting, I don't think you're going to see that right now. Um, you know, it's got to be. You know, there's only there's not enough time to do that right now before the Gold Cup. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, it, but yeah, you know, if as the results continue to go towards the Gold Cup. And at the Gold Cup itself, yes, Klinsman will have to be responsible for those. You know, it's, uh, you know, he wanted to take the program in a direction, you know, to new heights and, and the level it hasn't reached before. And, you know, those are lofty standards. And, you know, he should be, you know, and they're paying him a lot of money, uh, more money than they've ever paid a national team head coach. So, you know, it, it, it's time to hold them accountable for that. Sure. But, you know, in the end of the day, th- those are just friendlies. But, you know, friendlies mean different things. Now I think the friendlies are starting to take on greater meaning. You have uh, you have those absences due to injury. Jermaine Jones certainly prominent among those, but you also have some guys, some MLS guys who weren't called into this team, Brian. Uh, so what is uh, what do you expect in terms? As you said, these guys are all have all been in camps, have all been in the team, except for Alvarado and Yarbrough, and and, and there's a, you know the open question if they see the field or not. But when it comes to the established guys, or at least the guys who know what they're getting into, who do you expect the most out of, and who needs to step up today? I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, two guys, really. Um, uh, first of all, Michael Bradley. I mean, I, you know, he, he'll never admit it, but I really think that, you know, last year, last year during the World Cup um, and even towards the end of the MLS season that that foot injury was bothering him. And I think that the, correct, that the surgery and that, that he had in October to correct that nerve issue in his foot has, has been a success. I think that you're going to start seeing the Michael Bradley that, you know, has become familiar to most Americans, you know, the guy who can kind of take over a game. Um, you know, I, I, so I'm expecting bigger things for him, you know, now that he's, uh, you know, fully healthy. Um, another guy, uh, you know, I, I want to see, and even though I'm not hundred percent sure he's going to start, but, uh, you know, with Dempsey's absence now with his hamstring injury, I want to see what Aaron Johansson could do. And yeah. not just this game, but also, um, against uh, Switzerland because I think you saw at the World Cup a big thing was when Josie Altador you know only was injured after 20 minutes and then it didn't really look like the U.S. team had an adequate plan B you know to run their offense now Josie's here this time Clint's not but I want to see you know you know you need to start seeing more of a variety in the attack and I'm looking forward to seeing you know if Aaron Johansson can perhaps you know be the guy you know to come off the bench or if there ever there is an injury to Dempsey or uh, Josie like there is right now. If he can kind of fit seamlessly in there into the team's attack and you know and and be you know a legitimate scoring threat, uh, scoring threat. Right. So those are two guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing. Another one is obviously John Brooks uh, and 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 also Fabian Johnson to some extent. Both those guys um, you know are starting to right their ships right now with their clubs and turn in a couple of consistent performances. Obviously Fabian's team just beat Bayern Munich uh, in in Munich. So uh, that's a great win for Mulching Gladbach. So, you know, it's wondering if some of these guys can translate their club success uh, over to the national team. And I throw Timothy Chandler into that boat as well, you know, all across the back line. Mm. 
the uh, the absence of Dempsey, who was obviously uh, sent home with that hamstring injury, means that Klinsman doesn't have to pick between Altidore, Johansson, and Dempsey. And uh, that was always my concern, Brian, is if you had all three of those guys available, how do you work Aaron Johansson into that mix? Uh, with Dempsey gone, is he is is that just uh, for you? Does that mean that Johansson just steps into the role that Dempsey was playing? You know, I asked, you know, it was Aaron Johansson was the subject of a lot of media attention yesterday. I mean, he has a, still has a tremendous fan base in this city. I mean, the local media was all they wanted to talk about was, you know, Johansson because he was obviously uh, Asia Harhus is a leading scorer for a couple seasons there. And then it's kind of where he broke on to the to the scene. And it's also where he attracted the interest of the U.S. national team staff to try to convince him to play for the United States. So he has deep roots in the city. And, uh, and uh, you know, they were asking him, is he going to play? And Clinton wouldn't tip his hand. But he said, I think there's a very good chance. So uh, whether or not he comes in, plays a lot of sub-minutes, uh, or whether or not he starts, I think he will start if I'm just a guessing person. I didn't see enough of practice to kind of get a feel of the lineups. But, yeah, I mean, I think that if Dempsey, you know, when, you know, Dempsey, Clinton said, yeah, the Dempsey injury was a bummer. He likes to use that word, but you know he also said that he wanted to see Josie and Clint, you know, play together and maybe build up a little more chemistry heading into the Gold Cup. So that kind of led me to believe that Dempsey and uh, Josie were going to be starting, and you know I don't think Aaron would start with those three. Right. So I think Aaron's still a bench player, um, you know, a top bench player, but still a bench player. But um, you know now whether now it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the door's open for him to make a stamp uh, to be part of the starting lineup. Uh, you know that's how people break into the starting lineup sometimes is they take advantage uh, when there's injuries. Absolutely. Uh, let me let's go back to the back line for a second. Um, you mentioned. Um Fabian Johnson, and I've seen a couple of, of people speculate that we might see, uh, we might see Fabian Johnson at right back. We might see, but he's also listed as a midfielder in the yeah. official roster. <laughs> you obviously, you know, you have a guy like DeAndre Yedlin who we've saw on uh, in midfield at the World Cup and is a naturally a right back. Uh, is there a chance that those two guys are going to sort of swap their natural positions in this setup? I, I don't know if either, you know, no guarantees that both of them start necessarily, Brian, but. Is there a better chance of seeing Yedlin in midfield and Johnson at, at at right back or the other way around? I mean, I wouldn't discuss dismiss having Chandler at right back, Garza okay. at left back, and then and then um, you know having a wing option of uh, you know uh, of uh, Fabian. Uh, you know, so there's a bunch of different ways you can play this. Uh, you know, I think you know in, I don't know what Clinton is going to do. It's been it's been over four months since we've seen these European players uh, or even Mexican based players. Uh, in with the team, with the exception of uh, DeAndre, who was, in, who was at January camp. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you were to play everyone with their natural positions, uh, you know, there's room for that. Uh, that, that doesn't, he doesn't do that, though. <laughs> I know, I know, because, you know, the, the logical natural position thing would be to have Chandler at right back, um, you know, Garza at left back, right. and, uh, and, and Fabian in the midfield. But, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, Far from guaranteed, what he will do, and you know, I, I, you know, my guess is as good as everybody else's. I mean, we could see Chandler at the left back, even though that you know hasn't yielded as much fruit as you know as it would seem that he would get from playing him at right back. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, Fabian is one of these guys that's a Swiss Army knife. You know, he can do kind of anything. But uh, you know, maybe in this cycle, they they decide to really hone in on him at one particular position. But it seems like at Munch and Gladbach, they they like him best in the midfield, which is different than what they did at Hoffenheim. So maybe uh, you know uh, Klinsman will elect to use him in the midfield because I mean, look, he's you know he, he he's he's very comfortable in the attack. That's where he 
you know, played as a German youth national team player. So, you know, I think he's always, whenever you ask him the question, he always says he's better in the midfield. So, um, you know, I think Klinsman has at times wanted to show he's to do that with Johnson. I mean, he played that way even recently in November with the, so there's um, no indication that, uh, um, that he'll go back to the back line, although that would be hardly surprising. On the left side, uh, you, you know, when you talk about, Starting a back line, if you're putting one together, I think all of our all, all of us go to Greg Garza over there at left back. But we know that Breck Shea has come on as of late as a left back. He continues that transition. He's played pretty well with Orlando City, although uh, yeah. I, I know his crossing has left something to be desired. We're are we positive? And I <laughs> I know I'm in trouble asking this question, but are we positive that that Greg Garza is ahead of Breck Shea in the packing order? Trying to like ask me about questions about what Klinsman's going to do is like trying to nail Jello <laughs> to the wall. I mean, you just can't, you can't do it. I mean, look, uh, you know, you can see, what you can do is like talk about what Klinsman said. I mean, just recently he said that you know Brexhay has like the tremendous you know potential to be a great left back in his opinion, and um, you know, and now he's playing that play that way at his club. So you know, when he uses those strong words, it, it's definitely you know within the realm of possibilities that you're going to see him. Uh, you know, play that position at some point during these friendlies. Greg Garza, though, is you know that's his natural position. He's a he's a starter at left back, and Klinsman says like you know he said great things to say about Greg Garza as well. Um, so yeah, I mean you know, and then you know Fabian Johnson could always play back there as well. So you have a bunch of different options now at left back, you know, and that's kind of why I'm thinking Fabian will probably be in the midfield. But yeah, I think you're going to see whether or not you see um, uh, Shea or Garza, you know. Uh, Tonight, you know, you probably could see something completely different against Switzerland. But, you know, if I'm just guessing, I, I think it's going to still be Garza because, uh, you know, he, he feels very comfortable at that position and there's not really a learning curve to, you know, when asking him to play there. And we're, we're pretty sure that Clinton's not going to go again with the three-man back line and try that experiment? Yeah, I mean, the mood around here is that, um, is that, the, is that they have enough full packs, I think, to, to not have to, to use that experiment. The, the personnel, I think, is... Uh, is is more inclined to a four man back line with what he has in camp. The 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 two players in the center of midfield. I mean, again, we're talking about Johansson and Outsdoor starting up top by necessity for for Aaron with Dempsey gone. Uh, your wing options. Um, there's several. Again, Johnson comes to mind, but then you have Bodoya and Yedlin in the, in the center. Michael Bradley's going to start. Who's going to start alongside him? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I wouldn't uh, discount Morales. I mean, you know, there's another guy who's been, you know, people have been talking very positively about, um, you know, because he's, you know, uh, he's doing very well with Ingolstadt and they're in the first place in the two Bundesliga. And he's a big part of that. And then obviously you could also go with Danny Williams, who's having a very good season since he's come back from injury. Um, you know, it took him a while to get back, even when he got back to playing again. But since about January and late December, even he's been very very good and he kind of fits like a little bit of you know a younger version of Jermaine Jones I mean he plays a little bit of a nasty physical game and he's not afraid to you know uh you know to be a, a defensive you know defensive a good defensive midfielding midfielder presence in that you know right that sits right in front of that back line so he has those two options um two good options that I think he feels very comfortable with in defensive midfield, two guys who are playing regularly for clubs that one's in the FA Cup semifinals and the other one is in uh, the first place of the two Bundesliga. So, um, you know, it's it's not like he's short of options there in central midfield. No, of course not. Uh, all right, so you, you've got some central midfield options. Uh, we obviously um, looked uh, at the at the wing options. 
who is the, who's the guy in this roster if you had to pick one out? And you can either, you know, obviously there's two games in this set. It's not just Denmark. There's also Switzerland coming up. But who's the guy with the most to prove if he can get on the field, Brian? I mean, you still got to go with Miguel Ibarra. Now he's, uh, I mean, there's a guy who's not just representing himself, but almost representing an entire league, you know, and, and he's been, he was a surprise call up when he first got called up in October. Uh, Klinsman stuck by him and continued to say he saw improvement. And obviously he played against Panama, but now it's a, you know, it's one thing to play against Panama in, in a, you know, a B team roster friendly uh, in early February, it's another thing to play against a European team on the road on a FIFA international date. So it's a uh, it's question if he does get on the field, there's a lot to uh, prove because you know obviously if he does well, it opens the door for a couple other guys succeeding in the NASL. Uh, but if he doesn't do well, it probably you know closes those doors. So you know he, there's a lot at stake for Miguel, and um, you know he takes it in stride, which is good. Uh, but um, you know, it's a it was it was a bold pick by Klinsman to keep rolling with him, but you know, it's it, I think it's a um, he has a lot to lose, a lot to gain. Uh, just every time he steps on the field, he's the only guy that's not in season right now, is he not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, there's no Scandinavian guys yet, uh, so uh, yeah, I think that by the looks of the roster. I think that there's everyone else is in season. That's absolutely right. I wonder if that's going to affect uh, you know affect him at all. All right, let's let's talk about the the two Mexican American players who are now in this uh, team for the first time, uh, Yarbrough and Alvarado. I'm going to go with Alvarado first because I think it's more likely we see him at some point. Do you think he gets on the field? And and how how much has Klinsman talked about him and what he can potentially bring? I mean, Klinsman's very excited about him. I mean, you know, it's. He's a central defender. Everyone knows he can play right back and left back. But what he does is, you know, when Klinsman's been very adamant about his desire to be able to play out of the back line. And Brooks can do that very well. Um, and then if you add another central defender like Alvarado, then all of a sudden you start having a two, a pair of very smooth passing uh, central defenders. And that really helps the midfield out and in turn helps everybody else out. So I think that, you know, I mean, there's going to be a good chance that he sees the field. And I think that, you know, this is a guy that could have potential options to play for Mexico. Even though the Me- what Mexican head coach said that he wasn't, there was other guys in front of him. That could change very quickly when you're starting for Club America. I mean, that's that's the biggest, most prestigious team in that country, and it's one of the it made it's one of the biggest clubs in the world outside of Europe. Yeah. So things can change very quickly when you're you know at Club America. So I think that. You know, it's a guy that U.S. wanted to call into camp first, and they've they've had good discussions with him. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that they're going to want to acknowledge his decision, his willingness, and his eagerness because he's very happy to be here. Uh, reward that with the with the with an appearance. And, and and to be fair, you know, we've seen some call ups that people are wondering, well, did they just get call up because they're a dual national and the U.S. wants to you know you know, you know mark their territory before everybody else does, you know, the other nation does. That's not the case with Victor. I mean, he, you know, he's, he earned this. I yeah. mean, he, he won the champ, most recent Mexican title starting in all throughout the playoffs with Club America. And that's, um, uh, you know, that's really, you know, that's, that's, you want to reward something like that. And I think, uh, I think that he will see the time, he will see the field and, um, and, uh, and potentially if he does well, you know, continue to be part of the plans and through the gold cup. Yeah. I, you know, when it comes to Yarbrough, Brian, I can't, I can't really fathom that he's ahead of of Bill Hamid at this point. Maybe he, you know, maybe he has a potential to, but uh, reports out of Mexico is uh, are that he hasn't actually been his best over the last year or so. Is this is this more of a situation of 
you know, let's check and see what he's got, and uh, and we'll, you know, you can never have too many goalkeeping options, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can never have that many goalkeeping options. I mean, look, um, if you look at the US U23 roster and the US U20 roster of goalkeepers, some potential there, no doubt about it. But you don't see anyone quite breaking into their first teams right now at a younger age. So, you know, you want to start uh, starting and working with some of the goal, goalkeepers uh, right now uh, who are in their, maybe their mid-20s, you know, so you have options for the foreseeable future. Because um, you can't just really bank on someone who's not playing first-team soccer yet. And, um, look, uh, Yarbrough has won two Liga MX titles. Yeah, I don't think he's been as strong this past season as he was in seasons past. But, you know, he's putting enough uh, effort for a long enough period of time to know that there is a good goalkeeper, you know, inside of him and there is something useful. Um, can he over, you know, and maybe Hamid's better on some days, but maybe if, excuse me, if uh, Bill, you know, hits a bad run for a second, then Yarbrough can come in and and he's playing better. So you need to be able to have these options right now. And at at his best, Yarbrough is certainly, I think, someone that can uh, fill in and do a capable job for the national team. Brian Schroeder from Yanks Abroad, uh, American Soccer Now, New York Times. He's over in Denmark covering USA Denmark. Brian, I got to run, but thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the match and the, and the terrible chilly weather. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jason. All right, there you go. Let's take a break. We come back. George Qureshi, editor-in-chief, Howler Magazine, will join us. We're going to talk big about American soccer journalism. journalism. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dishworld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, uh, talking a little American soccer journalism with our friend George Qureshi from Howler Magazine. You all know Howler Magazine. It's big, it's pretty, it's got amazing stories. One of those stories was Robert Andrew Powell's profile of Marcelo Clore, which then morphed into something else, which has now created a... A firestorm. Now, we had Robert on the show. Hi, George. First of all, hi, George. Hello, Jason. Uh, we had uh, Robert on the show talk about his piece, talk about the quotes contained therein, talk about the reaction to those quotes. And, George, you obviously, as the the guy running the magazine, as the guy who edited Robert's story, you had to sort of take up the mantle of the discussion over how these quotes were obtained and then the reaction by the club. Is any of this surprising to you? Uh, there are so, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things that are surprising to me, but um, by the same token, I think, you know, sadly predictable in a lot of cases as well. So, I mean, you know, we haven't really done a story like this, 
yet uh, something that, that got this kind of reaction, negative and positive, I'd say, uh, that those extreme polls. Um, and so, yeah, it's a new territory for us. And, and, you know, to, to see sort of the discussion change from what did this guy say or what was, you know, what did, how did Marcelo Clore come off in the piece or what insight did Robert um, give you into the Miami process? Instead of all of that, it became about ethics in journalism and ethics in <laughs> soccer and journalism. And that's funny to all of us who have been paying attention to the way things have been going on the Internet for a while. But it did. It became about that. Is that, is that what it should be about? I find it very interesting, Jason, that, um, that at least the conversations on Twitter that I've been privy to, and I've been out of the country sort of on and off, uh, have been the people criticizing the piece, who have been, I, I would say, a pretty small minority, uh, and, and sort of Robert's methods for gathering those quotes, They've come at, They've sort of blown by the fact that those quotes are completely denied by Marcelo Clare and Sporting Kansas City. We ran denials at the end of the piece uh, because they asked us to. We were happy to do that. Um, uh, and and the fact that the people are saying Robert is is absolutely lying. They've just gone right past that to oh w- was it proper for him to run these things that he heard, which I think is kind of insane. <laughs> well, okay, it's insane for. For, for, because of the again, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of the people having this discussion are, are journalists themselves, or or on the periphery of journalism, George, and maybe that's part of this. Um, sure. A lot of cooks, a lot of experts in the room trying to to flesh out exactly what Robert did and and how he did it. But again, I, I mean, I think that that misses the the, the larger point. And, and when you when you received the responses, both from Clore's people and then from Sporting Kansas City, what were your first thoughts there? Well, I mean, I wasn't surprised to receive those. Those those written statements came after many, many phone calls. Uh, you know, people people with Beckham, Miami Beckham United, people with Sprint, uh, people at MLS, people at Sporting Kansas City. Um, you know, all trying to to basically get us to, to kill various aspects of the story. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't those those quotes that we ran. We knew that there was going to be opposition. That's why we got in touch with them. We didn't want to blindside them. You know, we work with these people, um, but at the end of the day, after after going through our process of fact-checking, of talking to Robert, of talking to a libel attorney, uh, we decided that they were newsworthy. They were things that I thought served a, a, a public good for, for soccer fans in the United States, for soccer players in the United States, ultimately for everyone who has an interest in, in soccer in the United States, and so we ran them. You know, I think it's easy. It's easy for people to jump to the conclusion that MLS team, well, Sporting Kansas City, and specifically, and that MLS teams in general have thin skins, George, and are quick to to be upset when things like this happen, and 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 it gives us this this sense that everybody who's interested in soccer in this country is supposed to be on the same side and working in the same direction. And if you step out of line, then how dare you? But I I think this is more of a a general trend we're seeing across professional sports. I don't think it's just soccer. I don't know that I don't know that I would say Sporting Kansas City or MLS is particularly thin-skinned. Um, I think that it's pretty natural for a big organization to react defensively when presented with, you know, critical press. Um, you know, and I, I don't say negative press because I don't think it was negative. I would say it was critical. And I, what, what I do think is that Major League Soccer, um, you know, <laughs> this is the argument that I basically made to the MLS VP who, who gave me a call. It was this. Um, we're not we're not running these quotes to burn you. Far right. from it. We're one of the few outlets willing to invest in in the reporting of the story, willing to send a writer to Bolivia and Kansas City to to do a very thoughtful 
nearly 7,000 word piece about Major League Soccer. There are not many outlets doing that. And so, you know, you, you can take the short-sighted view, in my opinion, that, that this is, uh, you know, we're out to get them or something. It's just simply not a case. We, we, we take them... We take them so seriously, in fact, that we're willing to run a story like this and invest in the reporting of it. Well, in that case, then what we've got here is it's it's difficult for people, perhaps in that bubble in MLS, um, either at MLS HQ or at the individual clubs, to sort of see that bigger picture, right? I mean, you need course, some, yeah. you need yeah. somebody. You almost you almost need somebody outside of that organization connected to, but independent of that organization to understand and be able to to be the voice in the room that says, "Hey." Yeah, there's some bad stuff in here that makes us look bad, but look at what they're putting into it, as you said. And then, come on, if you just let it go and not make an issue out of it and perhaps not send the magazine, as you showed on Twitter, a letter saying we're not working with you anymore, it blows over and nobody thinks about it anymore. I was a little bit surprised that we received that letter. Um, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> it, it would seem to me like... Um, Probably they they were considering the optics of the CBA a little more than the optics of this story at that moment because it was before the CBA uh, was was finalized. Did, did, um, did they know that you weren't planning on running it before the CBA was was going to be coming up? What I I mean, okay, so I think that that's that's a question that's hard to answer because they didn't. I would say. I don't know this for a fact, but I would say they probably didn't know when the CBA was going to be finalized. Well, that's true. Absolutely, yeah, that was still up in the air. You know, we gave them a broad sense of when it was going to run. I, you know, I did tell them, hey, look, we could put this online tomorrow. We could put this online, you know, last week. Uh, we're doing, we're, 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 we're not holding it for, because, you know, basically our calculation was uh, this is pertinent to the story we're running. It's not, you know, this is not a story about the CBA. Um, you know, I, I don't personally think that uh, the comments of, of, of the owner of Kansas City team uh, you know, should sway the CBA uh, in any direction, and 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 I I don't I didn't want necessarily the story to be used as a a bargaining chip in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the value of it is is sort of a bigger thing than than just a quick hit. Uh, you know, for for a quick news story. I also think that in the grand scope of of Robert's piece. What what's what is more important? What's more fascinating? What's more perhaps pertinent to the current day f for them is is sort of how Chloe comes off in that piece, George. I mean, I I'm not saying he's a shady guy, but he certainly didn't seem as uh, you know he was forthcoming for a while, then he stopped being forthcoming. There there were details that were a little murky. It was unclear if he was even really invested in Miami in terms of putting forth the the effort. Of course, he's got a day job. He's running Sprint, but. If he's front and center of this Miami bid and he's not in Miami, that's that's something more pertinent to MLS interest. Well, when I make when I, when I make the case that this has a public the story has a public interest angle, it's it's exactly that. It's that you know Robert, as a citizen of Miami, as a soccer fan, as a as a journalist who's interested in in soccer, uh, he went into this wanting to know what who who are these people behind the bid to bring the soccer team to my town. Um, and I think that, you know, as soccer fans, we all have an interest in having, uh, having ownership groups that are, that are in, engaged, invested in the local communities. I think, ironically, um, what this piece illustrates, you know, and it's ironic given, given what happened in the story, but I think that it illustrates that ownership groups like Kansas City uh, are, are the way forward for MLS. They are, they are intensely engaged in, in local politics and in local business. Um, and what Robert found was an ownership group that, 
appeared not all that engaged. I mean, there, there are some pretty revealing scenes where, you know, the, the mayor of Miami, uh, which is, you know, uh, different from the mayor of Miami-Dade County, which is the, the larger political entity in Miami, uh, said that, you know, they, they didn't do the due diligence to figure out, you know, who, who owns this $3.4 billion parcel of land they wanted to, wanted to, to get. Um, you know, and so, if I were to make the, the, the objective long view argument to majorly talk that this is in their interest, I mean, you know, this is stuff that they should know about, about people they're about to get into business with. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the role of, of this story. If we pull back here, George, and we sort of look at, again, the wider scope of where American uh, soccer journalism is headed, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's, it's very long been a, a very small community. Everybody knows everybody else that, that can obviously cause, that's a good thing on one hand. But it's also it can also cause problems, and when it comes to working closely with uh, with teams, with leagues, with executives, sometimes uh, it can make things a little uncomfortable. When you know, are we there? Are we to that point now where a, a magazine like Haller can publish this piece? Yeah, there may be a, a bad response from a team or, or from the league, but ultimately we'll get past this because it needs to happen. I think ultimately we're trying to build uh, a news organization. We're trying to build credibility. We're trying to build an institution that can that can publish things like this uh, and and weather the the backlash. Um, you know, part of it, Jason, is, is shows like yours. I mean, if we were to publish a story and then nobody talks about it, you don't have Robert on two days ago. You don't have me on to talk about it now. If you don't um, if you don't delve into some of the layers of the piece, then it goes away. And and what we've done is then uh, publish something that that really angers major league soccer and, and cast them i think they think in a bad light um and and what have we gained from that i, I don't think we've then served any public interest nobody knows about it and and it just goes away and so we've sort of you know we we need we need the the apparatus we need the mat, you know maturation of 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 the media scene in order to make things like this worthwhile and i think we're seeing that i mean alexi asking uh, Barbara about the story on 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 TV on yeah. you know halftime. That that's part of that as well. Um, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, the question itself was: Is MLS communist is not necessarily going to get sort of the answers that I, I would or the discussion going that I I would want to see uh, take place. But you know, it was it was a great start, and I was really grateful to Alexi for paying attention and and making it worthy of bringing up. Uh, in, in what I'm sure was a pretty uncomfortable situation for him too. Oh, we've got a lot of people who are uh, willing to push that, push those envelopes. I think uh, that that's a good thing. That's obviously what what soccer needs. And again, I think that while it's painful process for organizations like MLS or Sporting Kansas City or the Miami Beckham Pit or whatever, they need to be open to the scrutiny. I mean, you know, clearly. American soccer has gotten, uh, these organizations have sort of gotten a pass for a long time, George, not because people weren't interested necessarily, but because there just wasn't the manpower and the investment. Uh, I agree. Um, you know, and, you know, the name Major League Soccer implies a major league, a major league's face. Uh, you know, people, people are interested in them. People ask questions about them. People report on them. <clears throat> and, you know, those, ma- those truly major leagues don't have control of, of, of everything that's said about them. And, and as long as we're doing our due diligence and being credible, and I think, and I think we've done that, um, I don't think that they can necessarily, I mean, I think they can try, but I don't think they can necessarily say, look, this was irresponsible on your part. I think it was good journalism, and, and I think it was necessary. Uh, so, you know, I mean... <laughs> it's it's just it's just there's there's conflict. At know? this point, you have uh, you have no compunction about the way that the piece came out and the way that the piece was formulated and the quotes contained therein. 
Oh man, I mean, do you, do you have time to go through the stage direction of that scene? <laughs> I think it's important. I mean, yeah. you know, we put it in the piece because we thought it was important. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, Robert, Robert was reporting on the CEO of who is a, uh, a potential investor in Major League Soccer. He was invited to the Sprint luxury box at Sporting, Sporting Park. Um, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, it was Marcelo Clare's first game at Sporting Kansas City, and he's only there because our reporter invited him to it. Um, <laughs> so, so he's there at this guy's invitation. They're, they're, at halftime, they're in the luxury box. One of the Kansas City owners, Cliff Illig, walks in. Uh, the three of them are having a conversation, and, and Marcelo introduces Robert to Cliff as a reporter for Howler. Cliff said that you know he, he knew about Howler, and in fact, his son his son reads Howler. So that that was very much on the level. Uh, you know, there's three of them speaking, and Rob, Rob Heineman joins the conversation sort of midstream. And so now there are four men standing in a circle having a conversation. Uh, you know, they start talking. Robert does not say to, to Rob, I'm a journalist, be careful what you're saying. Um, but as far as Rob Heineman knows, one of the three people he's speaking with is a complete stranger. Yes. And his business partner standing next to him had been introduced to him as a journalist uh, moments before. And so, uh, in my opinion, that Robert you know, exceeded his burden to disclose that he's a journalist. At that point, it's just good reporting. Um, you know, and, and I think that uh, Rob Heineman is, is media savvy. He knows, he knows uh, how, how this stuff works. Um, you know, and, and Robert, Robert is standing there and, and, you know, Rob Heineman says something that, that is newsworthy and in the public interest to know. Uh, and, and I think that's a completely fair game. Um, I think that the people, you know, I had a long back and forth with Andrea Canales on Twitter and she's basically making the argument that, um, well, you know, you're supposed to protect, basically you're supposed to protect your sources. And I'm thinking, well, that's not the case. That's not what's happening here. This is, uh, that has nothing to do really with what, with what this situation entails. Um, you know, Robert, Robert, here's something. What is he supposed to do with that, with that information? Go back to him and say, Hey, so, you know, I heard this, uh, would you like me not to run it? I mean, what, I don't know what, what interest that serves except to protect, uh, to protect the interests of, of Kansas city and Rob Hardiman. Yeah. I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's certainly fair within the, the balance of, of, of journalism and the, and the job that Rob, that Robert was doing there. I mean, again, I mean, is he supposed to, is he supposed to wear he didn't a hat? Sneak in, he didn't sneak in to the sports. Should he wear a hat? Spot. He should wear a hat with lights on it. And they, they say <laughs> or a sandwich board. Hey, be yeah. careful what you say to me. Right. I mean, it's just, it, you know, Robert cleared his bird. But as, but as you that. said, I mean, it's fascinating. And I think again, um, whether or not this is an important quote, it clearly is. It's an important quote. It provides context. I don't think anybody, as you said, is going to, to think of, of Sporting Kansas City's ownership as bad ownership. And yet here here's one of the guys involved in this league talking about something that was, you know, that, that again is now in the past. So we can sort of put it in that context as well, the CBA negotiations. And it is indicative of something. And I think it's a, it does serve the public good to know exactly what Heinemann said there. But at the same time, it's not the crux of the piece. It's not, it's not the center of the piece. It is a one-off comment that is part of a larger, here's MLS ownership narrative. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I mean, but, but at the same, by, the same, by the same token, it is a story about MLS ownership, about owners who want to come in and invest in MLS and why they want to do that and what's in it for them. I mean, you know... <laughs> The fact that the fact that the Miami Group was going in, uh, they're going to pay twenty-five million dollars for the the franchise fee, but they're requesting three point four billion dollars in land at the outset. Um, that, that's revealing, in my opinion. Um, and so, a conversation among owners, an unguarded conversation, which we never hear, 
certainly serves the, the interest of this story and, and, and has a place in it. Uh, I have no question about that whatsoever. Um, you know, this was not, this is not thrown in as an aside to say, oh, gotcha. It was, it's, it's very much a part of, you know, what, what is the thinking behind people who want to invest in MLS? And, and, you know, ultimately it's a question about who owns American soccer. I mean, yeah. I think Claret came away from that conversation thinking, oh, it's, it's communist uh, because all the owners share in the risk. Uh, my, my feeling is what Rob Heinemann says uh, is, is hyper-capitalist. And it, 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 it shows that, you know, I think players, uh, players are an important part of this league, uh, but if, if 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 some of the owners think you know we can get rid of the players uh, if, if they if they choose to strike for for better working conditions, um, that's something that the players should know. The the fans should certainly know. Uh, it's it's it should be on public record if 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 it's said to somebody who who has the ability uh, to to put it there, which it was. You know, uh, George, I'll leave you with this. I think that uh, my my hope is that this sort of thing, and I, I think it's important to have the discussion about it. It's important to talk about the backlash. But I hope that this sort of, this sort of thing doesn't lead to a circling of the wagons and a lack of access for uh, for people who are who are willing to do the work, and like like you and and Robert have done. Uh, go, put yourself out there. Go try to find that story and and give us a little bit of background on a guy we don't know anything about. There are other stories in American soccer. It's easy for the rest of us to sit behind our our laptops at home and watch on television and and opine. But what we need is to know more about the people who are running the sport in this country. We do a lot of reporting on Major League Soccer. I would say the most, you know, the, the vast majority of it is very positive. Uh, I, I personally appreciate that they have built a, an infrastructure for us to go and watch games every week. I mean, that is a, a huge gift to American soccer fans. Um, and, and I think the lesson here is, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, this was Robert lucked into this quote. I mean, people, you know, you want people to be unguarded and, and talk to you freely, give their natural opinion. It, it very rarely happens, especially on controversial subjects. Um, you know, and, and we weren't out to get major league soccer by any means. So if they were to, you know, if they, if Kansas city donors were to convince other teams not to talk to us, I think that would be a real shame, uh, and, and sort of air out <laughs> in a funny way, Clarice. By the way, let me just clear one thing up. You have a letter from Sporting Kansas City saying, "Hey, we, you know, we uh, uh, we refute these quotes. We're not interested. You know, we, we don't like these, whatever you did." I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, and we're not going to be working with you. And then Alexi Lawless has has asked and have been told that no, of course we're going to work with Haller. Where is it, George? Uh, I have no, I have no idea. The, the letter I posted a letter. I posted that letter on Twitter. It was unsigned, so I don't even know who sent it. It's, it starts out on behalf of. Sporting Kansas City and Major League Soccer, but nobody signed it. So I, I have no idea who at the organization sent that to me. Um, only that it was on official Sporting Kansas City letterhead. So I assume it speaks for the club. Uh, Alexi, by the same token, in his tweet said "folks at" I believe uh, Kansas City. And so again, I have no idea who he was speaking with. But you know, it, that led to me just retweeting Alexi with a question mark because I am I have not heard back from Sporting Kansas City okay. since the story was published or since they reached out with that with that letter. I have no idea. Uh, well, we'll find out. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> that resolve it's, resolves itself. But again, I think that's uh, it's not a small detail for you or for Howler or for American soccer fans, but it is not necessarily the center of the story. George Qureshi, editor over at Howler Magazine, which you obviously should be reading. George, I appreciate uh, your time, man. Safe travels. Thanks for what you do. I mean, this is a, a vital part of, of, of the process as well. Our story means, you know, 
a lot less without you coming on and, and delving into it like you have. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, nice, kind words, George. It, this will make up for the fact that I still have not given you a good pitch and gotten into the magazine yet. <laughs> that way. Dude, got to do it. I know. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, phone lines will be open, 347-756-6276. Join us. Talk about some soccer. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning with the phone lines wide open, 347-756-6276. We can talk about ethics and journalism, I suppose. I'd rather not, really. We can talk about uh, USA Denmark. What would you like to see out of this game today? It's a friendly Friendly results typically don't matter, but we want to see, again, some initiative, some energy, some effort, some industry. Go out there. Play hard. Seriously, play hard, guys. Just give us some effort, some cohesion. Pass the ball around the park a little bit. Hell, if you want to score some goals, we can do with that, too. Right? Right? Aaron Johansson, show us what you got. Back home at Aarhus. Show us that you can score and take up the mantle that Clint Dempsey left behind because he got hurt. By the way, it reports out of Seattle. Clint saying he doesn't think that hamstring injury is a big deal and he should be back uh, relatively soon. Washington up in NYC. What's going on, man? What's up there, Jason? Listen, I wanted to ask you a question about um, the, the, the lineup for the U.S. men's against Denmark because I, I took a look at it. There's only six MLS players on there, right? Uh-huh. I'm just wondering... What's going on with Jurgen Klinsmann when, when he makes I, – I was a fan of Jurgen when they first hired him, right? But the more, the more he's been on, the, the more of a bad taste he's left in my mouth. Um, you know, comments he's made about MLS when Dempsey came over and things like that, they would have never let Bob Bradley – Bob Bradley would have never made a comment like that, and they would have never let him get away with it. I, I really think sometimes that, uh, you know, the, the USSF just – Kate is way too much to Jurgen. Yeah, you have any thoughts on that? Well, okay, look, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think Jurgen Klinsmann has some credibility built up from being a European footballing great, from taking Germany to the semifinals in 2006, uh, to doing all. I, I think he has some credibility and some, some built up uh, points here that he gets to spend. Now, I don't blame him for spending them when he, if he really does think that MLS is a detriment to American soccer's growth or the players' growth on some level, certainly young players. I, I don't have a problem with him saying it, if that's his opinion. It's just that he needs to back these things up with some progress with the team. He can't just sit there, throw stones at everybody, while failing to actually make any progress with the team, Washington. That, that's where I would say. And, and, and you're right, though. Bob Bradley's not getting away with it. But Bob Bradley also isn't going to say it because Bob Bradley knows he gets ripped for it. So That's right. uh, it, it, it's sort of a, a chicken or the egg thing here with, Cl- with Klinsman. If he, it, should he say it? I think, I think that's a question for his, you know, in relation to his opinion. If it's his opinion, I have a problem with that. But, you, but again, make some progress. Do some things. Win some games. Show us that you're cool. actually pushing this team forward. I had this thought last night, this, this analogy about Klinsman. I mean, he's effect- essentially taken 
the uh, the U.S. men's national team jalopy, and he's underneath the hood, and he's underneath the car, and he's doing stuff, and nobody knows what he's doing. And we're supposed to trust that when he comes out from underneath that car, it's going to run well. But we just don't know what he's doing. The problem is that he's underneath the car, and the car's not moving. That, that, that's the big problem, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with not knowing what he's doing as long as the car was moving, that's as long point. as what you said, the results on the field, yeah. because obviously he knows what he's doing. If the car's not moving, there's no, there are no results, now I have a problem, because I, you know, when you hire someone, you have to trust that they know what they're doing. But if you don't see results, you can't trust them. Yeah. All right, Jason. Appreciate the call, Washington. Let's Take go care. over to uh, to Raf from Hudson River Blue, another NYC call. What's up, Raf? Hey, how's it going? I'm actually calling from L.A. Oh, what, um, are, you doing, what are you doing in L.A., Raf? Um, believe it or not, I was filming Jeopardy. Uh, you, wait, you were on Jeopardy? I was. Did you did you get a, a soccer morning reference into this show? What's going on? <laughs> I, I, I did not actually because they you know they police that pretty well. I know. I'm sure um, they do. No no plugs. No free plugs on Jeopardy. I don't think that's happening. <laughs> no, you know it, it was it was a ton of fun. You know would totally do it. Would do it again a thousand times over. How many uh, soccer questions on Jeopardy, Raf? Um. I don't think there were actually any. <laughs> I'm assuming there were none. Very rarely yeah. does that happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's so, on, what's on your mind? Let's, yeah, let's not talk soccer, you know, ethics and soccer journalism. I was actually going to talk about the USMT playing Denmark okay. today. What I'm really actually pretty excited about is the prospect of seeing Aaron Johansson pair up with Josie Altador up top. Yeah. Um, because I actually think that you know, it's going to be the first time that we've seen Johansson in action in almost a year, if not quite a year. And, you know, I think that I think that could have some results, you know, some positive results for the U.S. OK, but, um, but, but, but okay. here's the issue, Ralph, and you know, you know this. You have to have a midfield that works in order to get the ball to the forwards in order to create any danger. So you, then Absolutely. now we're talking about who's in that that bank of four. I'm assuming it's not going to be flat. I don't know if if this is going to be uh, if Klinsman's going to want. I'm assuming he's going to want Bradley ahead of whoever he partners with because that's where we've seen Michael Bradley. And then we get into yep. that question again of whether or not Michael Bradley is the guy you want pulling the strings behind two forwards or not. I don't know. Is that going no, to work? You know, and I think I think quite frankly, I think the pairing that you're probably going to end up seeing is somebody like uh, like Bradley and Alfredo Morales, who's been doing pretty well for Ingolstadt. In Germany, I think. So, you know, that's actually another pairing that I'm pretty interested in seeing. Just because, you know, it's a friendly. Um, and, you know, for as much flack as I've given as we've all given him. Um, you know, at the very least, he's not going with 19 MLS guys that we've all seen play before. You know, he's basically using this friendly for what he should be used for. Okay. Which well, is tossing well, a bunch of bunch of pieces into the into the salad, tossing it around and seeing what comes out. Okay, but but so, Raph, the problem is that that salad needs to be on the table here in just a couple of months, and it, it better absolutely. it better be ready. Absolutely. It better taste good because if not, we're 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 really going to be asking some serious questions about Jurgen Klinsmann's tenure as national team head coach. Now, again, I think I, it's a little bit neither here nor there because I do not expect U.S. Soccer to fire the guy. But if they no, come I, out of that Gold Cup having finished second, third, or fourth with a bad performance. I mean, come on now. Well, and that's the thing. Um, and that's the thing because that goal, because the degree of difficulty is going to hockey stick here. 
and you know this and I know this, it's going to hockey stick radically because you're going to go, you're going to go from these friendlies. You're going to then play this classico against Mexico, which is another friendly, um, which I think is, you know, sometime in April, May, some, somewhere in there. And then you're going to go into the world, into the gold cup. And then from there, you know, you've got two legitimate teams in, um, Mexico and Costa Rica, and from speaking with um, Paulo Anchope, they're aiming at the final. They want to win the whole thing. Of course they do. Um, they're and, they're ascending right record, now. He's they're, on record as guaranteeing. They're they're you on know? fire. They're, that's I mean, at this point, I am very scared of Costa Rica. Why wouldn't you, you should be? be? You should be. And so then, you know, if you don't win, if you're the U.S. and you don't win the Gold Cup, right, then you're setting up a winner-take-all match in October in the U.S., but still – um, between the winners of this gold cup and the previous gold cup for a spot in the confederations cup, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's right there. That's the make or break game because I think, you know, that puts a ton of pressure and I don't know that, you know, this crew is probably the best at this particular point in time in surfing that pressure because Brian Strauss, um, I think a couple you know, I want to say it was about 10, 11 days ago, you know, put out a real brief piece saying that a lot that, you know, a decent chunk of the, you know, national team players are starting to tune Klinsman out. So if you don't have a cohesive plan, if you're not yeah. directing the team and in one, one I, I, again, you can have a plan A and a plan B, but you need to convey to your players. This is the way we play. Here's how we play. This is who right. we are. This is our identity. Somebody tell me what the American identity is right now under Jurgen Klinsmann. Somebody, um, anybody? Oh, I don't oh, know. Yeah, I'll, go, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take, take a yeah, but you, you know what? Oh, you're guessing. You're, whatever you no, say, no, no. whatever you, you say, right Raf, you're guessing. No, 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 I'll tell you what it is right now. We get tired late in games and we surrender late goals. <laughs> that's right. our identity right now. Right. Tell me I'm wrong. Okay. Tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. That's, that's know, fine. We surrender, we surrender late goals and we get tired late in games. And that did not used to be. The American identity, but that, for better or worse, is what it is now. Yeah, well, let's hope that's changed. Let's hope that doesn't happen today, totally Ruff. Because I can totally see it happening in October in a winner takes all game. When do we get to, when do we get to see you on Jeopardy? Um, from what I was told, I think it's going to be sometime in June. All right, so everybody, mark your calendars. Raf Naboi Rivera on Jeopardy, representing Soccer Morning. Just because I say so. Appreciate the call. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Take Raph. care, man. All right, bye. There you go, Bill in Brooklyn. You're on the line. What's up? Hey, uh, Jason. I uh, wanted to call about um, something you said in yesterday's program about the um, about the international dates in the MLS schedule. Yeah, I have a simple solution. Why don't uh, Why don't we just make the regular season shorter? Why don't we just go down to thirty or or twenty eight games, and then uh, you can even start the playoffs a little earlier. Not have uh, the MLS Cup final be uh, in the middle of December. I, I think there's you know especially if we. Uh, you know, if the playoffs are the most important thing, if the regular season champion isn't particularly uh, important, except for us New York Red Bulls fans uh, when we support a shield, then why not just make the regular season a little shorter? If nothing else, that'll incentivize teams to not settle for draws if six teams are going to make the playoffs. It's going to be a short season. you gotta, you got to get those points when you have the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I mean, clearly you'd have to... So you'd have to manipulate the schedule to make sure that you have sort of some sort of even distribution of games against your own conference opponents and then a smattering of game of games against the other conference. There's a big story. Doug McIntyre of ESPNFC has filed a story on this very issue 
yesterday, and I, I got through about half of it before I had to leave for the show this morning. But it does sort of address, uh, from an MLS perspective, um, why it's not as easy as it looks. In fact, let me let me see if I can pull this up uh, just a, just a second here. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up because I do I do think it's important. Look, I, I I railed against this yesterday, and I agree it's a problem. And I think MLS needs to address it directly, but they. But they they do have concerns that if you're just a little bit forgiving, you can sort of understand. It's just a matter of do you want to prioritize? Like, do, okay, let let me get to the, some of these quotes because I think it's important to kind of get the, the exact context here. Again, this is from Doug McIntyre over at ESPN FC. Uh, it's an it is an insurmountable issue. It's a square peg in a round hole. That's what Don Garber said in uh, December. The question is why. Here's the answer from, Dot, from uh, MLS Vice President for Competition, Todd Durbin. In building our schedule every year, we deal with a number of u- unique constraints. Our teams travel across the continent through multiple time zones. Weather limits our footprint, and our teams are competing in multiple competitions. That said, the biggest priority for us is to put together a schedule that ensures we're able to put the best, best product on the field. Now, you say that, all right, well, that doesn't make sense. You're not putting the best product on the field if all these guys are gone for uh, international duty. But again, I mean, I'm not there sitting there at the computer or whatever, whatever IBM ThinkPad they use to get the schedule out. So I don't, I don't know how the, I don't know how the moving pieces work. I don't know how they're prioritizing travel. I don't know whether or not, you know, U.S. Open Cup games and, and CONCACAF Champions League games and, and Canadian Championship games for those teams, how those impact the schedule with they're not being determined by MLS's. MLS doesn't pick those dates. Those are already, done by the the federation so i i don't know i i mean i really don't have an answer it it does seem like a shorter schedule would work even if you just cut off four games i mean if 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 mls came to the jason if we take four games off the schedule go from 34 to 30 and we can release players for four international weekends over the course of the season would you take that deal yeah i think i would but again we're 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 still talking about this is where the push-pull is really this is what it comes down to the owners want the gate money because the gate money is what keeps their teams in the uh, you know on even footing. Or if they're in the red, only a little bit in the red. Uh, or if they they're in the black, it gets them into the black. So they don't want to give up. Number one, they don't want to give up any dates at all. So you're already talking about cutting down the schedule from 17 home dates to 15. They don't want to give up uh, weekend dates, which draw in the crowds, whereas midweek dates don't. Then it's also pointed out in this piece that even if you said, okay, let's start the season and rely a lot on the uh, on the better weather teams, the southern teams, Orlando, uh, Dallas, those kind of places, well, then those teams miss out on those summer matches, which, yeah, okay, it's hot in Dallas, but they still draw fairly well when the kids are out of school and et cetera, et cetera. We can pretend that this is a grown-up league where everybody's an adult who really is passionate about the sport, but there's still a lot of family dollars going into MLS. Indeed, I hear it. it's it's tricky, but I, I do think there are solutions out there. We just have to have to be a little more creative about them. Yeah, well, I appreciate the phone call, Bill. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's just a, it's New York Day here for phone calls three four seven seven five six six two seven six. I mean, Ralph was in L.A., but he's from New York. And then you had Bill and 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 Washington call. What? And, and nobody else wants to rep today. Nobody else wants to get in. Oh look, <laughs> okay. Let's let's. How about we go to the other side of the world and talk to Finland? Dante's on the line. What's up? Are you there with me, Auntie? Cannot hear you. Uh, that, oh, turn your microphone yeah. on. 
Turn your, turn your microphone on. What's up? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me now? I can. Yes. What is uh, so what's up? My comment was about the the length of the uh, MLS season. For me, uh, it's as short as it can be right now. Thirty four games for a league who wants to be the best in the world or whatever uh, is is minimum. You can't go shorter than that because then you just uh, you uh, create a situation where you don't have enough like uh, material to to say which team is actually the best in the no, league. I, I would agree with it, you on it, that. I mean, we obviously it, have an issue. Becomes, we obviously have it. Sorry, becomes, we, we have an issue with. We already have an issue with the, the schedule not being balanced. I think if you do take away games, then yes, you are adding to the argument that this right this season does not tell us anything. Yeah, because if you have less than thirty-four games, if you go really short regular season, it's like saying that you would uh, in the World Series of Poker you would just play one hand and say winner takes all. Then it becomes just a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. yep. And for me, the other problem is that the uh, the playoffs are too long. Now some there's like a two month two month period when some teams are playing, yes. some teams are not playing, yes. and I think Jurgen would argue uh, agree with me that it would be better for uh, more teams to play longer, and then if you want to have playoffs, you would have them shorter, so that uh, the the playing time. Uh, there wouldn't be such a big gap between different teams playing different uh, lengths of season. I, I agree. That is an issue. You, you do have, I mean, it's part of the reason MLS, I think, adds to these playoff, uh, is adding to the playoff numbers this year, <clears throat> is, to keep, is to keep 12 teams active for a longer period. Now, yeah, you have, you have four teams yep. go out, uh, uh, four, four teams, however many go out right away, Based on the uh, based on one game, thanks for the call. I got to move on, but th there's there are a lot of things to consider here. Uh, the MLS playoffs. I, I I'm not going to say that they're too long, but I do. Th I, I there is obviously a question of whether or not it's a knockout competition or if it's a, a two. You know, there, there are two legs in these series. They're not going to be two legs. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. It's it's a it is a problem. It, it's again it's a problem. Uh, this just came down the wire from the, the NASL. In relation to the announcement that Minnesota United FC will be added to MLS in the, the near future. I think this is interesting. I'm reading this for the first time along with you. But here you go. The North American Soccer League was created to provide fans, players, and partners with a professional structure that best aligns with the international game and a model that integrates into the global soccer uh, economy. <laughs> so that's a swipe in MLS right there. While Major League Soccer will, be, will make an announcement on Wednesday concerning Minnesota United FC, Possibly becoming an MLS expansion franchise, the NASL will continue on its path to build a league that is in line with the rest of the world and offers North American soccer fans a highly competitive alternative. Our soccer landscape has been evolving at an unprecedented pace since the relaunch of the NASL in 2011. As the sport continues to grow, we anticipate making further announcements during the year concerning our own expansion and new partners. The developments in Minneapolis only serve to affirm once again that the NASL is building high-caliber clubs both on and off the field and playing a leadership role in the evolution of professional soccer in North America. The announcement will not affect how we approach our plans for the future. We are as committed as ever to continuing the growth in our existing markets 
and expanding into new markets where we see great opportunities for our players and fans. The groups our league is built around. Something, something, something. We will talk. Uh, we, we will talk to Bill Peterson in the coming days. Tuesday, next week. Is that what you're telling me right now? You're dropping that in? So uh, it looks like we are working on talking to Bill Peterson of the NASL. And we've, we've addressed these issues with Bill. And I, and I still think that they are pressing for the NASL and actually have a, a piece that I wrote last night on this very topic. What is the NASL to do? MLS has a lot of advantages on the NASL. The age of the league, the infrastructure of the league, the television deals that the league has, the corporate, corporate partnerships, all of these things make MLS the top division in the United States. By everybody's, by anybody's estimation, the, United, the, the MLS is the top division in the United States. What this then creates is a situation where fans, except for maybe the most knowledgeable, most invested fans who do see NASL and the way they operate more in line with the rest of the world and value that over anything else, most fans want MLS. Owners want MLS. Why do owners want MLS? Well, for one thing, there's bigger TV contracts and there's uh, there's stadiums that get built because it's MLS. There are there, there are there's shared cost. That, that thing that Marcelo Clore talked about with communism. Okay, maybe it's not communism, but it does indemnify these owners against great loss. Do you think that Bill McGuire sees Minnesota United FC as a better investment? As a as an NASL club or as an MLS club? I think it's probably MLS. And not just because top division, whatever, you know, shining lights from ESPN and Fox. No. But because his investment is protected. And more than likely, after he spends the money and his, his partners, I'm sure it's not just him, spend the money to buy into MLS, the value of his club is more than likely going to go up. Which is, if you're an owner of a sports team, that's what you're in it for. Not to make a pro, not to squeeze a couple of dollars of profit out of it year to year, but to have your, your asset increase in value so that the day that you sell, you get more money than you, than you, than you spent. There you go. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Thank you very much to our guest today, Brian Sharetta from Yanks Abroad, New York Times. American Soccer Now, George Qureshi of Howler. Make sure you're reading all of those publications and following those gentlemen on Twitter. George, uh, George is Qureshi. Q, I don't know how to spell it. Go find it somewhere. And Brian Sharetta is Brian Sharetta. There you go. Very easy Twitter handles. I like it when they make it easy on me. All right. Uh, make sure you go to backhill.com slash store to buy yourself a mug. I don't have my mug with me. It's dirty here. Here's the, no. And buy a t-shirt at 3nilfc.com. Anything else? iTunes. That helps us out. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's going to do it. I think I'm going to sign off. Go watch USA Denmark. We'll talk about that game tomorrow. And first of all, watch Minneapolis get into MLS here in about uh, 42 minutes. See you then. No, I won't see you then. But see you tomorrow.